Hi and welcome to the Online Marketing for Schools podcast. My name is Mike Leenbroggen and in this episode I interview Max Hutton from Brisbane Grammar School and he handles all the fundraising and alumni relations for the school and in this episode he gives me a lot of good information on exactly what is working for them and what they're looking to do in the future. So here it is, I hope you get a lot of value out of this audio interview. With the fundraising that you're doing, um, or maybe you could tell me a little bit about more about your role there at um, at Brisbane Grammar School and how it kind of fits in. Right. Okay. Well, my role here is fundraising and alumni. Okay. Um, so um, we have a development, communication, and marketing office. There's a um, I look after the as I say the development and the alumni. There's a communications manager. Uh, there's a publications officer and a community relations officer that makes up our uh, our little office here. Okay. Uh, we also in, interact with enrolments um, quite closely mm-hmm. um, on both you know the the fundraising alumni and the um, uh, and the marketing side as well. Okay. So uh, so that's where the way we're set up here. Okay, okay. And uh, last time we spoke, you said you had a number of things uh, on the or happening at the moment with open days and uh, a couple other things. Were they for fundraising or more general enrollment? Uh, no, there's uh, well, we we did a um, open days, not a fundraising event. That's a community event, yeah. uh, and mainly an enrollment event. So, what we do is we invite you know um, future parents. Uh, to come along and have a look at the school, bring the boys, you know, check things out. But uh, we do it as a community engagement exercise where we meet not only them, but old boys turn up for it as well. Okay. Um, so we have a combined sort of old boys development tent uh, and we uh, we talk to as many people as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Not about fundraising, just about the school and then, you know, that's a contact, an initial contact that we've made with a lot of people. Okay. Um, the other thing we've done this year is we did, using Rux Burton, we did a telephone uh, appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether you're aware of their affinity call program, okay. where um, what we did was we used 14 young old boys. Um, we recruited and we paid them, and they made about 1,800 calls to old boys. Uh, and it was um, primarily an engagement, but also a fundraising uh, exercise as well, and something we'd never done before. So there were a lot of nervous people around. Right. Um, but um, but the boys did very well. We raised you know, about one hundred and sixty-five thousand right. dollars in pledges and gifts. Uh, and uh, but more pleasingly than anything, we put on almost three hundred old boys who'd never given a gift before mm. to the school and gave a gift. You know, so we've now got uh, the challenge to renew them and upgrade them, and then look at them, you know, primarily for the quest, but also possibly for major gifts as well okay. in the future. Okay. So that was a big exercise. We also had our annual giving, uh, and we're now um, gearing up for. We've got a golf day and a few uh, uh, bequest uh, things that we've got to get uh, underway as well. So for the rest of the year. Okay. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, so you're so you're saying uh, that was specifically targeting old boys. Um, what demographic would you say does actually, I guess, pledge the most donations or, or give the most to the school? 
Um, well, probably it, it would probably be parents, mm-hmm. but if you drill down a bit further, you would have to say it would be old boy parents. Right. So that would be alumni that have then uh, sent their children to the school? Or are sending them to the school, yeah. Okay. Okay, and what sort of, or how would you engage with them, I guess, other methods other than the, you know, the calls that you recently set up? Uh, well, I do it on a selective basis. Um, so um, I look at them and think, you know, have a look and see if they're a potential major. Um, then I obviously do a personal uh, approach. Uh, do it through the Old Boys Association. We do it through our magazine. Um, but that's the first mass engagement that we've had done with Old Boys. Okay. And it was extremely successful. Okay. Uh, not just in a fundraising sense, but you know, out of the 1,800-odd calls, there were 1,000 very good calls made and uh, engaged you know, in a very positive way. Uh, with old boys, some of them haven't really engaged with the school since they left. Yeah, right, okay. So, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it's the only way you can do it anyway. You can't um, engage with, with, you know, we've got probably 15,000 alumni out there mm. and there's no way you can engage with them on a personal basis. So um, yeah. so this was a good start um, and we'll hopefully we'll continue it for the next three years. So you know, at the end of three years, we'll probably have, uh, engaged with you know up to three three and a half thousand old boys, mm-hmm. um, and we probably have put on you know over a thousand of them as new donors. So uh, yeah, I think it'll be uh, an extremely positive exercise for us. Yeah, excellent. You said before major identifying a, a major donor. I'm assuming that would be how how do you typically identify uh, someone who might be a, a major donor? Uh, well, the first criteria is that um, I try to ascertain whether they could make a gift of $10,000 or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the way I go about that is, uh, well, what we do with our enrolments is we get um, all of the current parents now to put their employment details down. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so that automatically goes onto our database. So, for example, if I want to do some research, I'll go in and look at our database for anyone with director, managing director, chairman, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll try and drill down a bit uh, further with um, you know, Google, LinkedIn, uh, places like that. There's also a database um, that QT have that uh, you can use to get um, you know, company information and so on. Okay. Uh, and from that, I make a subjective decision uh, as to who I think should go on a major prospect list. And that 10,000 and above is a sort of cutoff point. Okay. Uh, that I use. Uh, now, what we found also with our constituency is that they are very much project-driven. So to go out and just ask them to give us a, a major gift to the building fund and we'll look after your money and spend it you know, when it's necessary mm. just doesn't work. Right, okay. So, uh, so we're looking at some major projects coming up in the future which will need to be... Um, funded in part from the community. So these people are going on now onto a sort of suspect list for a uh, capital campaign. Okay. But in the meantime, of course, I'll be talking to them about you know, giving to smaller projects on the way through until we're ready to make the big one. Right, okay. Okay. And how would you, or would you have donors that, um, I guess, like really large donors, maybe, 
I don't know, like up to half a million dollars, perhaps bigger companies or corporations that might give to the school? Uh, certainly no companies or corporations unless, I mean, the only, um, the only thing there is it might be an old boy who owns the company and the gift comes from the company, but by and large the gift comes from the individual. Right, okay. Um, we have very little corporate sponsorship or corporate donations. Um, for example, our golf day, we get uh, sponsorship. Yeah, it's fairly small stuff, uh, but still we get sponsorship for a whole um, in the name of a company, but that company would either be a supplier to the school or owned by an old boy or a parent of the school. Right, okay. So, um, although having said that, we are looking at refurbishing our science um, buildings um, in the next few years, and it's quite possible that we may look at some sort of corporate sponsorship in that area as well, because it, it, it may lend itself to uh, you know, some of the geology companies, some of the science companies and so on that um, may be prepared to, uh, to give, because you know, we have a lot of very, very good scientists come out of this place. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that, that may lend itself, but I know that the current board of trustees are very wary about corporate sponsorships. Oh, really? Uh, for the school. Yeah. Yeah, they see it as, you know, as buying something. Yeah. Um, you know, so and even with the suppliers, you know, I mean, uh, I keep that at a fairly low key because, um, you know, we don't want them thinking that they can make a big donation and then they're locked into the school for whatever they're supplying us for the next however many years. So, right. uh, so we, we, you know, and we do the same with future parents. I mean, we don't approach our future parents for gifts uh, until they're confirmed. Mm -hmm. So until we know that their boy is actually coming here and they've paid the money, uh, that's when we start approaching them for gifts as well. But um, uh, the only, once again, there's always an exception. Okay. The only exception to that is if it's an old boy who may have his child booked in for 2020. Well, we approach him as an old boy, not as a future parent in that case. Right, okay, okay. And what would you say would be the split between donations between or from parents as opposed to um, old boys or alumni? It's probably, without sort of pulling it out, I, I, would, I would think it's probably fairly evenly split. Okay. Because, and I say that because some of our biggest gifts have come from old boys. And we've just done a capital campaign. We raised $7 million, uh, and the biggest gifts came from old boys. Okay. Um, so, um, but once again, that gets confused because there's a lot of old boys who are also either current or past parents. Yeah, yeah. And you would say that there's a bigger, uh, I guess, appeal or more of an emotional attachment for old boys who now are parents, that they're the ones that actually will, you know, be mo the majority of uh, the donations. Yeah, once again, <laughs> there's always exceptions here, I know, but it depends on what it's for. Right. Yeah. Um, old boys who aren't or never been parents, um, they they are very, very keen on needs-based bursaries. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that is by far the most important project for them to give money to. Um, whereas parents um, see the need for facilities and resources. Um, so they would be more likely to give to a building that's going to give their <clears throat> their kids or their grandkids or whatever um, access to, to um, you know, better facilities and resources for their uh, education. Right, okay. 
But we do have a very strong uh, old boy support for our needs-based bursaries. Okay. And how would you say uh, social media, how big of a part would that play in the fundraising or getting in contact with people? Uh, it plays it's a very small part in fundraising, if any. Um, certainly with, uh, the, with the old boys and current parents, we are ramping that up a bit and you would really have to talk to Wendy Johnson who's our communications manager about where that's going because that that's her area but we haven't we certainly haven't used it specifically as a fundraising vehicle um we I did a an email we'd been sending out mail uh you know annual appeal for years and getting a fairly low return and a very high cost so I decided to do it by email this year Mm -hmm. I put together a um uh, a video on the school you know, and sent out an email with a link to the um, to the video, um, and we got about the same result as we do on mail. Oh, uh, the only difference was, of course, it didn't cost us as much. Mm-hmm. What sort of that's an uh, interesting point. What sort of costs are there in uh, sending out physical mail if you were doing a campaign? Oh, you're probably looking at uh, at least a dollar per unit. Right. Okay. And that's printing. Depending on what you do, I mean, you can you can go fairly expensive and put together, you know, printed brochures and whatever. And then, of course, if you're sending out thousands, you've got to go to a mailing house and and all that sort of thing. So, you know, you can even get up to around about a dollar fifty a unit. Okay. Um, so it's it's pretty expensive when you've got a big database. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, there was fifteen thousand or so. Yeah. Well, that's just old boys. So, um, you know, you're throwing a few thousand parents and whatever and you know, it, it becomes a, an, an expensive exercise, and all schools are, uh, are thinking along the same lines. And uh, the only thing was that you know that particular um, experiment of mine didn't really work um, any better, except that it you know it capped our costs, of course. Okay, okay. And what was, I guess, the cost for email? Was that something you did internally, or did you outsource that to someone else to send the emails or a service? No, we did. It. We did it ourselves. Um, we sent them out. Um, I did the um, the flash. It wasn't a flash video. It was um, oh, I've forgotten the system I use now. But uh, yeah, MP4. That's yep. right. It was an MP4. Yep. Uh, and I put that together. I just got a, um, a series of um, uh, photos. Did some text. Um, you know, changed it around, cut it down, talked to people, edited it. And we sent it out, but it, in the end, it was too long. It was about almost four minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, so the next time it would be, if I do it again, it'll be you know, it won't be two minutes worth. Okay. Um, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I, as I say, with the social media side of things, we are looking at that as a communications area mm-hmm. um, uh, initially for our our parent body. Um, so we don't we don't send out the newsletter uh, hard copy anymore. Mm-hmm. That's uh, on um, well, it's actually on the website, um, so people can go in and access the newsletter uh, there, and, and they do. Yeah. Uh, our Grammar News, our magazine, that's also available on. Um, although we do send hard copy, but that's available on our um, website, as is our annual report. 
Okay. Um, you know, because these communications become very expensive to print and post. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we're looking at ways that we can um, we can save uh, that sort of thing. And if people, you know, if we only get 40% of our community who are prepared to receive their those sorts of things electronically, then we're saving 40% you know, of our print and postage costs, yeah. which are significant. Yeah. And how often would you send those newsletters or magazines? Uh, newsletters every week in the school, in school period. Okay. Um, and the, uh, the grammar news is three times a year, annual report is once. Okay. Okay. And that would typically be an email with a link back to the website? Um, that I'm not sure. I don't know how we get that out to people. I know Grammar News, we actually do post that to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but having, you know, saying that it is also available on, on the uh, website. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, not sure how we communicate that about the annual report. Okay, okay. So when you're doing a, um, like you were saying before, if you were going to do a typical mail campaign, how many people typically would you be sending out to? Oh, um, well, I, I didn't send out to the um, old boys because we were doing the mailing campaign. Mm -hmm. So I actually took them out of the equation to a large extent. Uh, but certainly all the current parents and all the confirmed future parents, all past parents and some old boys got it. So we'd probably end up sending out five or 6,000 emails. Right, okay. Okay, so yeah, there's cost got a lot of bounce backs too. I, yeah, we uh, we got a lot of bounce backs too. I can tell you. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so, what sort of system do you use internally to have uh, all those um, you know mailing address details and emails uh, updated for all the the parents and old boys? We use um, Synergetic as our database. Okay. <clears throat> and what we do now is we use that from go to woe. So. Um, uh, enrolments use it now and have done for some years so all the student records are on there so that when they roll over into uh, a past student we've got their history at school and hopefully if they keep in touch you know we've still got contact details and we can update them with you know what they're doing so uh, you know when we do we, we, we do the simple things like you know, when we have a, um, a function we ask everyone to put their um, business cards into a bowl and um, mm -hmm. You know, we draw out a prize, that way we've got all their current uh, corporate information. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we quite often in our mailing, well, in all of our mailings, uh, with the Grammar News, we have uh, at the front of it on the fly sheet, there's uh, a means by which they can update their um, information as well. And we get a fair bit of that back. Okay. But, uh, but as you know, I mean, it's hard to keep contact with people, particularly people who aren't all that interested in keeping contact with you, so yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you do lose them. Okay, okay. And what type of programs do you run as far as fundraising? What's the different avenues someone can uh, donate to the school? Uh, we do uh, our fundraising, well, our different programs uh, yeah, split into three. There's the building fund, which is just purely for building refurbishment or new buildings. Um, there's the library fund, and uh, that can be 
for purchase of books, but what I use it more in a fundraising sense for is the um, online databases that the boys use, such as Encyclopedia Britannica and those things. Mm-hmm. So we actually aim it at that, which is you know, much more upmarket and people can actually understand that. Um, and uh, then there's the endowment fund, um, and that is uh, the, the scholarship sub-fund that we've created, which has got DGR status. Uh, that funds needs needs based bursaries. Okay. So they're the three. So no matter what we do, uh, whether it be an annual appeal or a telephone appeal or a major campaign, one of those three uh, will be the headline, and the other two will be the backup. So we might go out and do a major gift campaign for a million dollars for something specifically, and we'll come across somebody who says, oh, "I don't want to give to bricks and mortar." Well, we then switch into the other two. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're sort of a fallback position. Or we might go out on a campaign for needs-based bursaries. People don't want to, so then we might be able to come in with a smaller building project that they can give to. Right. So they're the, they're the three main streams that we always use, and most schools are much the same. Mm, okay. And out of the methods that you've used in the past to get uh, new donations to those three things, what would you say has been most successful? Would it be that calling campaign or something different? Um, well, the capital campaign that we ran for the new building that we did, the Lilly Centre, um, was very successful in, in recruiting major new donors um, at, a, at a good level. But the calling campaign was successful in recruiting new number, you know, numbers right. of donors. Some of those donors only gave us $20. But by the same token, you know, they might have been 30, 40 years out of school and never given us a penny. So... Um, $20 is a very good start. Yeah. Um, so, you know, both, I, I, I actually favour major gifts. You know, I would rather do a major gifts campaign or a capital campaign than an annual appeal because, you know, that's just a numbers thing. But you've got to do an annual appeal because um, it gets the people on your books mm. um, from which you can then, you know, if you've got some data, you can look and see that this guy owns a pretty successful company and he's prepared to give $1,000 a year well, rule of thumb is if he's prepared to give $1,000 on a major campaign, he'd give at least 10 uh, on a personal ask. So all of those things come into play. But, um, but yeah, the most successful thing we've done has the, uh, been the capital campaign. Okay. Um, could have been much more successful too, but anyway. How was that? Uh, I just wasn't, wasn't well run from the school's point of view. There were... Um, yeah, there were a lot of things that were done and then sort of halfway through it, the school decided the costs were escalating, you know, the Board of Trustees decided the costs were escalating to the point where they had to start the building. So halfway through the capital campaign, we started building the building. Right. And that's fatal. <laughs> you right. can't do that. Okay. Well, people just assume that you've got the money. So, yeah. okay. um, uh, and then they can't see any need to give if, if you already start building. So there was a lot. I mean, we should have raised 10 to $12 million um, and we could have. Okay. Is that typical for a, um, a a building campaign project, ten to ten to twelve million dollars? Uh, no, well, for us, um, that's the first one we've done in a very long time. The last one we did was back in the '60s, right. and I think from memory they raised about five hundred thousand pounds or six hundred thousand pounds. I'm not sure what that relates to now, but um, but uh, yeah, this one was the first major campaign we've done for a very, very long time. And, you know, it was an interesting thing too because you know, people we that I went to see, 
um, basically said the same thing. We haven't heard from you for 30 years, and the first time we do, you ask us for money, you know, right. that sort of thing. Okay. So following on from that, we instituted a very strong engagement um, campaign with our old boys you know, culminating in this telephone uh, call. So the next time we go out and knock on doors and ask people for gifts, at least we'll have talked to them beforehand mm, okay. um, and and built some sort of relationship as well. Right, okay. And as far as, uh, I guess, demographics are in Australia as compared to overseas, maybe in the UK or the United States, how would you, like, there's quite different, um, I guess, different personalities and stereotypes, I guess, you know, from Australians to, to people overseas. How would you compare our nature or our you know, just our, our way of doing things as far as giving as compared to some of the schools overseas and what they do? Well, America's, uh, America's just totally different from anybody else um, yeah, because they don't have, have a welfare system as such. Um, <clears throat> they, um, their, their giving is at a very, very much higher level than, than ours or the UK's or anyone else's. Um, so I would think that we probably equate more with the UK. But once again, you know, there's 20 million people in Australia and there's 60 or 70 million people in the UK. So you get that critical mass of people um, giving. Um, so, but I would think that we would give on at a sort of similar level to the UK. Um, and the stuff that I've read would tend to see that you know, we do, we approach it in much the same way. We have similar programs and similar types of campaigns. Uh, I mean, you know, consultants, international fundraising consultants, you usually find if they're in Australia, they'll be in the UK right. uh, as well. And there might be in other countries too, but normally they were like Rux Burton. I mean, they came out of the UK. They did the, started these affinity calling programs with the universities and colleges in the UK 20 years ago. They expanded it to um, secondary schools in the UK and then decided to bring it out to Australia and they're you know, doing quite well out here as well. So it would seem that if it works in the UK, it'll work here and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Okay. But America is, you know, America's just got a whole different ethos when it comes to, um, to fundraising because... Um, yeah, I remember reading about Cornell University. I think they have something like $2 billion in their endowment fund right. and the earnings on that fund 30% of their students, something like that. Right. And there are schools over in America where almost the whole of their student body are there on some form of bursary, which comes out of their, um, out of their endowment fund. So you know, they have... They have benefactors, and, and people actually you know, fight each other to be a benefactor, be the principal benefactor of uh, schools and universities. Right. So it, it, it's very much different here. It's it's, it's harder here. <clears throat> you know, we've had um, we've had sort of you know, the state school system, you know, the public the um, public school system here, uh, education, health. All of this thing, all of these things, were funded by, primarily by the um, by the federal government or the state governments for many, many years, and, and the UK was the same. And then when we when we started to change and realised we just didn't have enough money in the pot to do that, and went you know, private with a lot of things, mm -hmm. um, you know, people then decided that you know um, the people who were using the private system should pay for it, 
um, not the public in general. So it makes it very hard. <coughs> there are perceptions as well. You know, people perceive um, Brisbane Grammar School as being a very wealthy school. Um, well, we have very wealthy people come to this school, but the school itself is not actually you know, all that wealthy in that um, most of the funds that we get are expended on you know, resources and facilities to teach the boys. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that make it difficult for fundraising in, uh, in Australia in general and in private schools in particular. Okay. Well, excellent. That's uh, some great info on um, you know fundraising and how it's all working for you. Yeah, it's it's you know it, it's a long term thing. You know, a lot of the things that I've done will benefit you know, one of my successes in the future, um, hopefully. Um, and and you've got to look at that. You've got to look at fundraising as an investment in the future. Um, so you may not actually raise a lot of money. In this decade, but in you know, two decades' time, you might have a um, a community that's been engaged uh, and also been used to funding, you know, being our approach for money and giving. So, you know, you just got to do it. And, and we didn't. We didn't do it on that basis for a long time. We've only just really started to do so in the last five or six years. Okay. It's been fun, but it's been hard. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you actually been at the at Brisbane Grammar there? Uh, seven years. Okay. So the development office was started here in '92, and I'm the third director of development since then. Okay. And the other staff members that you were saying at the start of the call have, are they newer positions, or have they been around for a while? No, Wendy's the communications manager, and she's been here. Mind you, has been a communications manager here since '92, probably. Um, but Wendy's been here about. Six years. Okay. Uh, Steph, who's community relations, has been here two years, but there's been a community relations officer for many years, and a publications officer. We've had a publications officer in one form or another um, over the years as well. So the positions themselves aren't particularly new, and in some cases the people are. Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Excellent. There it is. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more episodes or more interviews with uh, different people involved in enrollments, marketing and communications, fundraising and alumni, then please let me know on onlinemarketingforschools.com.au and please feel free to leave your comments and share uh, those posts with um, your friends on Facebook or any other social network as well.